Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to episode 352 of the UK True Crime Podcast. Hi, madam. Thank you so much for joining me today. So if you've listened to a large number of my podcasts, you will know that Beachy Head in East Sussex features in many of them. It fascinates me as it's a place of incredible beauty with the stunning cliffs towering above the blue sea of the English Channel. They're as high as 530 feet. But as you get closer to the cliffs, your eyes are drawn to all the crosses and flowers, each one a symbol of the very personal tragedy of the person or people who lost their lives at Beachy Head. Estimates vary, but it's estimated that about 500 people have lost their lives at Beachy Head since 1965, most by choosing to take their own lives. Not all though. For example, in 2019, 22-year-old Faye Reed stumbled to her death after heading towards the cliff edge looking for somewhere to go to the toilet in the darkness. And a Korean student, 23-year-old Hai Wong Kim, she lost her footing on the edge of the crumbling cliffs after asking a stranger to take a photograph of her jumping in the air close to the cliff edge for social media. But these are the minority. Among the many people who visit the area each year to enjoy the stunning coastline, it's also a spot chosen to end their lives by too many desperate people who see no way forward in this world. If you take time to read some of their stories, just Google it. They will move you to tears, I guarantee it. Today's story focuses on beachy head and complex relationships, but this story is by no means straightforward. The episode this week is brought to you by Spotify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide by simplifying selling online and in person so that you can successfully grow your business. Shopify covers all your sales channels and even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help, and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. I remember a side hustle I set up a few years ago when I lived in Devon, which at first was so difficult to actually sell the product, and most importantly, get paid. Changing the pricing and the offers took me hours sitting at my computer when I really needed to be working on the sales and marketing strategy and delivery. A friend recommended Shopify and it completely transformed the business. It just made everything really easy to do, leaving me to focus on the important stuff. What I love about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.com. 
www.co.uk slash truecrime. All lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash truecrime to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk slash truecrime. Okay, so let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest of month and year game. At number five in the UK charts were the party bus group. It was those Venga boys with Kiss when the sun goes down. In the US, top of the pile was Santana featuring Rob Thomas with Smooth. And the top album in Australia this week was Macy Gray with On How Life Is. In the news this month, 19 people were killed after two trains collided in Asta in Norway. Off the coast of the Ivory Coast, Kenya Airways Flight 431 crashed into the Atlantic, killing 169 people. And in UK true crime news, the Liberal Democrat MP for Cheltenham, Nigel Jones, was attacked at his constituency surgery by a man with a samurai sword. Andrew Pennington, a councillor, came to help Nigel, but was stabbed nine times and tragically lost his life, aged just 39. And finally for this month, the family GP from hell, Dr. Howard Shipman, was jailed for life for murdering 15 of his patients, making him Britain's most prolific convicted serial killer. But as you'll be aware, the suspicion is that he killed many, many more, with a later inquiry estimating over 200. So did you guess the month and year? It was January 2000. Right, let's get on with our story. Paul Ramsden was an operations manager at energy giant Shell and lived in Horsham in Surrey with his wife Paula. The pair had been childhood sweethearts but went their own ways and Paula got married at 20 and had two children. In their 30s they got back together and in 1989 the pair moved into Paul's house together before they married in May 1993. On January the 9th, 2000, they drove the hour or so south from their home to Beachy Head for a picnic, which they enjoyed just feet from the cliff edge, admiring the wonderful views. Just before 5pm, they decided to head back to the car. Paul later told how they had been kissing and cuddling, but as Paul walked away, he noticed that Paula wasn't with him, and to his utter horror, he saw that she had fallen over the edge of the cliff to her certain death. A shaken Paul reported what had happened to the police, of course, and as detectives looked into the couple's background, they found a number of suspicious aspects that suggested that maybe Paula's death was not an accident. It emerged that Paul had insured his wife's life for £250,000 just two months before she died and he was having at least one affair with somebody at work. Was this connected to what had happened on the cliffs at Beachy Head? Paul was arrested on suspicion of murder and released on bail until May. Detectives found that Paul had certainly been having two affairs with work colleagues, including with a 30-year-old Sussex University graduate who worked with him while studying for a master's degree. It transpired that as well as the time they spent together at work, He'd also spent six nights with his colleague in the eight weeks before Paula's death. When it was put to him that he was lining up his colleague as a replacement for his wife, he emphatically denied this. 
And when asked how Paula would have reacted if she had been aware of his cheating, he replied, she would have been disgusted, but she never confronted me. He added, my relationship with Paula was fine. It wasn't coming to an end. It wasn't even nearing an end. Me and Paula, we were on top of the world. But lying came easily to Paul. To secure his job at Shell, he'd lied about his academic qualifications. He said he had O-level passes from Thomas Bennett's Community College in 1979 in maths, biology, art, history and economics. He hadn't. He also lied about passing a two-year ONC course in business studies at Crawley Technology College between 1981 and 1983. Again, totally, totally made up. In the eight days before Paula's death, Paula and Paula had gone to Beachy Head for walks three times, despite her fear of heights. Why had Paul pushed her to go there? And after Paula's death, witnesses who saw him noted that he didn't cry, he didn't seem as upset as they may have expected. But in his defence, he said, look, I don't know how I was meant to react when this sort of thing has happened. I just reacted as I reacted. But despite all these pieces of information, the evidence that Paul could have been responsible for Paula's death were all circumstantial. There was no CCTV on the cliffs. A file was passed to the Crown Prosecution Service, but the decision was made that there was not enough evidence to secure a conviction. Paul Ramsden was not re-arrested and no charges were brought against him. The three-day inquest into Paula's death was an explosive affair. East Sussex coroner Alan Craze, after reviewing the evidence, said that he did not believe Paul Ramsden's claim that his wife Paula fell accidentally at Beachy Head. He recorded an open verdict into her death. He didn't go as far as an unlawful killing. He said it could not be proved that Paul Ramsden had pushed his wife off the cliffs at Beachy Head. However, he added the following. He has shown himself to be dishonest, egocentric, manipulative and a control freak. I believe Paula would have followed him anywhere. Everyone has been united in regarding this death as suspicious. And he went further in his closing remarks, which were incredibly outspoken for a coroner. He said, This inquest has been like a murder trial, but there is no prosecution. My feeling is that if you ask 100 people who had heard all the evidence over the last three days and had seen and assessed Mr. Ramsden in their heart of hearts, do you believe he killed his wife? A very considerable number would say yes. But that is not the right question. I have to decide whether it's been proven on the evidence that he did so. There was plenty of evidence, mostly circumstantial, which would show he had a motive. If he did not do it, the death was a huge coincidence. In my judgment, he would have been capable of doing so. Immediately following this incredible inquest, Paula's family, understandably, felt that many questions remained unanswered and they said they were considering a civil action against Paul Ramsden. And it wasn't just the family stung into action by the inquest. Detectives who'd worked on the initial inquiry into Paula's death announced that they would be looking again at the potential evidence against Paul Ramsden. Following the verdict, Sussex police made it very clear that as far as they were concerned, 
they'd always treated the inquiry as a murder investigation and that it would remain open. However, by April 2002, it was clear that they had no more evidence to put in front of the Crown Prosecution Service. Detective Inspector Tim Guyton, who led the inquiry into Paula's death, said, There will not be a new inquiry unless we receive new information. One possible source of that new information would be from a third party who may have been told something in confidence, but as yet, that has not happened. There is no way any more can come from what happened on the top of Beachy Head that night because only two people really know. One is gone and the other, Paul Ramsden, is sticking to his guns. Speaking outside the court, Paul Ramsden said, My life has been ruined by the tragic loss of my wife. I didn't murder my wife. I loved her. And watching on was Paula's dad. And as he saw Paul Ramsden leave the court, he said to him, Keep looking over your shoulder, lad. There was some really interesting insight from Paula's first husband, Darren, in an interview he gave to the Sunday Mirror in 2002, some of which I will share with you now. He told how Paula had effectively asked him to leave their home after Paul Ramsden had bombarded her with calls even though she was pregnant with their son. He told how they'd no sex life in their marriage due to the sheer level of control that Paul had over Paula. Talking about when she actually asked him to leave, he said, At the time I knew nothing about Ramsden or his calls, so I couldn't understand why she wanted me to go. It was only later that I learned about Ramsden and the control he had over her life. I didn't know that Paula had a previous relationship before me with him. Apparently he'd finished it so he could sow his wild oats. That man ruined my life. When she married me, I was the happiest man in the world. But as soon as Ramsden decided he wanted her back, she went back to him. He was a bully who used his influence over her to force her to leave me. He shattered the dreams I had for our future. Darren went on to say that he and Paula had been friends since they were 12 years old at their secondary school in Hailing Island in Hampshire. He continued, She was in my class and she was lovely. She was very pretty and would always do anything to help people. She was also very family orientated. We used to go out in a foursome with my best mate and her best mate. We'd just do the usual stuff, bunking off school, going to the pictures, nothing serious sexually. We were too young then. There was nothing more than a kiss and a cuddle between us. When they left school, they lost touch, and this is when Paula got together with the charming, athletic, and good-looking Paul Ramsden. But it didn't last long, as he told me he wanted his complete freedom for two years, and then he would come back and marry her. Darren said, At that time, I was busy doing my apprenticeship as a baker, so I didn't think too much about Paula. But we met again when I bumped into her at a market in Hailing, when we were both about 20. It was great. We both felt like adults, even though we were both still very young. We went out for ages and we fell in love. We didn't have too much money, but we'd go out for meals and out with our friends. I spent a lot of time at home with her and her family. They really liked me, so when she fell pregnant, after we'd been together for about 16 months, it felt natural and right that we should get married. At that time, I had no idea that she'd already had a relationship with Ramsden or that he'd promised her that he would marry her. I kept asking her what was wrong, but she said nothing was. I was so confused. When we'd been married just two weeks and were lying in bed together, 
I again asked her what was wrong. She suddenly said she never wanted me to touch her or show her any affection. She became hysterical, screaming at me and hitting me, telling me she didn't love me and that I had to leave. Eventually, she ran into her parents' bedroom. She refused to talk to me properly ever again. It was only years later I learned that Ramsden had been bombarding her with phone calls both before and after we were married and had given her an ultimatum, me or him. I was furious. I felt such a fool because I'd never suspected anything was wrong. Her parents never told me he'd been phoning while I was at work. I didn't even know he existed. I was heartbroken and extremely bitter. I hated all of them. Our marriage was annulled within weeks. I was numbed. What I thought of as something so special had been turned on its head. And even when their son was born in September 1989, things didn't get any better. Darren said, I turned up at the hospital, flowers in hand, all ready to watch the birth of my baby. But I wasn't even allowed in because Ramsden was there. She was obsessed with him and his personality. Her mum and dad never liked him because of the control he had over her. And since her death, they've told me how happy they were when she married me. They hoped it would put an end to her feelings for Ramsden. But unfortunately, it didn't work. She would have done anything for him. She didn't even put my name on our son's birth certificate. People have even suggested he might not be mine. But he looks like me and he acts like me. He knows who his real dad is. What happened made me really paranoid. I thought Paula would just use me to get pregnant, knowing she was going to leave me. Darren concluded with these comments. Even after what Paula did to me, and even though I've been married since, you never stop caring for your first love. Everybody thinks he did it, and it wouldn't surprise me either. He had all the motives, the insurance policy, and the affairs. My son, although he's just a child, remember this was 2002, understands everything. He said there were two questions he liked to ask Ramsden. One, why did you do it? The other, why did you have an affair with my mummy? I think everyone would be interested in those answers. I thought Paula loved me. It was obvious she was obsessed with him. I thought we'd live happily ever after. How wrong could I be? So what do you make of what we've heard today? As you can hear from Paula's ex, Darren, it sounds very clear that Paul Ramsden wanted Paula and she was obsessed with him and wanted to be with him too. And another tragedy at Beachy Head, a place that has claimed so many lives. But was this one a case of a person potentially taking their own life? Which I suppose is a possibility. If life was very difficult with Paul or maybe she'd discovered the affairs. Did she fall in an accident or was Paula pushed? Clearly, as we've heard, there are those who strongly suspect that Paul Ramsden was responsible for Paula's death. But what if he wasn't? What if it was all just a terrible accident as he claimed and he really was devastated by losing the love of his life? And then he has to put up all the suspicion, the pointed fingers and people like me covering the case, as do his children. It has to be a possibility, right? But then again, with the depth of the circumstantial evidence and the outspoken comments of the coroner, what if he was responsible? As the lead detective said, there were only two people who know for sure what happened on the cliff edge that day, and one of them isn't able to tell her side of the story. You know, we often hear people in our true crime community talking about the perfect crime 
being impossible nowadays due to CCTV. But maybe there is such a thing as the perfect crime after all. As always on this podcast, we finish by thinking of Paula, her children, her family and her friends. It's impossible, I think, to comprehend the pain and torment they must have gone through since that fateful winter's afternoon on the cliffs. And still, now in 2023, despite their suspicions, they still aren't able to say or know for certain just what happened to their beloved Paula. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. I really appreciate it this week, as unlike most of the utterly disgraceful mercenaries that used to play for the mighty Leeds United, thank you for staying for the duration. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK true crime, please just head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK true crime 24-7. And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK true crime for bonus episodes and other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community, that's Amanda Martin and Rachel Davids. Your support is so much appreciated. That's patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Price of a small cup of coffee a month and you can cancel at any time. Please come and join me and keep me producing a weekly podcast. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast and the only podcaster who always carries a slightly damp towel in his man bag. Don't worry, I don't really wear a man bag. If that's the expression. It's like a beard, isn't it? Do you wear it? Do you carry it? Not sure. Oh well. For more in-depth discussion of of other big issues like this, do join me again next week. But until then, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now.